All right, question for you. Do you like loopholes? Do you like loopholes? You know what a loophole is, right? It's your way of getting around something, right? A way of getting around a rule or getting around a law, right? It's an exception. It's, a, it's an out. It's your workaround. And it's something that actually comes naturally to us. You know, even as kids, we just start figuring out loopholes with our parents early in the process. I remember I went through this really frustrating season, uh, but, and I'm, my guess is teenagers are the best at finding loopholes, right? Would, would anybody agree with that, that, that they are the best? Man, they just, it's a skill. It's a gift. It's a craft. And I remember there's a season where my, where my teenage sons were just, it was frustrating for us as parents. And I remember writing this note down to myself uh, on one of my apps, and I just wrote this down. And, and, and so I, I came to mind this morning, and here's what I wrote. I wrote this years ago uh, when they were young teenagers. And I wrote this, my kids take me literally when it benefits them, <laughs> or not. They take me figuratively when it benefits them or not. Does any parent, like, you're like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what it is. If it works to their advantage, it's figurative. If it works to their advantage, you know, it's literal. Whatever it works. And then I just wrote this note. We do the same with God. We do the same with God. So it was just kind of this thing I, I wrote down, and, and, and because they, they love loopholes. They, they love it, you know, when, when you, you, for example, your, your mom or your dad's really frustrated with you, and, 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 and you came home, and, and they're talking to you like, Mom, you asked if their parents were going to be home. You didn't say when. <laughs> they came home eventually, right? right? You know, you go through all that. Man, we love loopholes when we can game the system, right? That, that, that's one of the great ways we love loopholes. Uh, I, I read about a guy, David Phillips, back in 1999, uh, Healthy Choice Dinners was offering 1,000 miles in airline points, 1,000 uh, thousand airline miles for every 10 barcodes that they turned in for healthy dinners. Well, the healthy dinners was too expensive for this David Phillips guy. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy their pudding cups instead. So he bought 12,150 pudding cups. And he, he submitted them to, to, you know, to healthy choice. They had no choice but to honor it. So he made 1.25 million miles, uh, airline miles. Anybody fly back in 1999? Is 1.25 million miles back in 1999 a lot? He, so for the next few years, he took his family around the world on all these airline miles that he got. By the way, in continuing this process of kind of gaming the system, he donated the majority of the pudding to uh, Salvation Army in exchange for them peeling off the barcodes for him. And because he donated the pudding, he got an $800 tax credit as well. So for less than 2000 bucks, this guy flew around the world with his family for years. Or what about those two college kids who, they were friends, they were like, man, I, tuition's expensive, and they came up with this elaborate plan. The guy says, well, how about we get married? 
And uh, now you're going to be in state for tuition. So they got married. And, and so she's now in state. And so she got a discount on tuition. And, and he now is head of household. And so he's dirt poor, co- starving college student. And so now he got more grants because he was dirt poor as head of household. We love to game the system. Somebody pointed out to me, Chris, you're pretty good with that when it comes to returns. I said, yeah, I had my season where I could tell you the exact return policy on Costco, REI, and the various places. Speaking of REI, this wasn't me, actually. This was somebody else, but somebody in our church who will remain nameless went on a backpack trip one time. And you know those, like, MRE meals where you kind of, you know, put in the water and then, you know, you open it up and they're like six, seven, eight bucks a piece, right? And he opened it up and started to eat it, and he didn't like it. And he said, well, I'm just going to return it. He went back to REI, took it in and said, uh, I didn't like this item. I'm not happy. The person said, you know, you opened it. It's a one-time use. You know, they're like, your policy says that I'm not, you know, I'm not satisfied. I thought it had too much salt. That was actually his excuse. He thought it had too much salt. And so then REI capitulated and gave him his money back. Christians. Love, love, love loopholes. We love loopholes. In fact, actually, all religions love loophole. Every religion has a book or a document with a list, and then every religion has people who try to get around those those lists by actually having to do what's on the list. So when something gets difficult, we just try to find a loophole from actually having to do what that book or that document or that list says. It's true of all religions. We love loopholes. For example, loophole Christians ask this question, how close can I get to sinning without sinning? We may not say that question out loud, but that's a question that we ask. If you grew up Catholic, you had a great one. It was called confession. I got to tell you, as a teenager, man, I, I was a little bit jealous of my Catholic friends. Because I would watch them, you know, and they would just sin like crazy and fill up their sin bucket. But then they'd go to confession, they'd dump it out on the priest, and, you know, they're absolved, and now they can start over fresh. I mean, it was awesome. Now, I'm not making fun of them. It's just not how it was meant to work. Unless I get too high and mighty myself, I came to realize, well, wait a second. People in your group, in your camp, you kind of had a similar situation. You had a similar loophole. You just didn't involve a priest. You went to the Bible, and there's a verse in the Bible that says 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Some of you are like, oh yeah, it was the first verse I memorized. <laughs> Absolutely. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're like, God, you know, I'm coming before you, and here's my sin bucket, and here's all my sins, and I confess it to you. And you're like, sweet, I'm clean, I'm forgiven. And you had this thing that you mixed in there about it. Somehow you took some other verse and you said, well, hey, and God even forgets them. And so the next time you sin, you come to God and say, oh, God, I did it again. And God's like, did what? And you're like, yeah, sweet, he doesn't even know about it. There's another group of Christians who love their own loophole system they've created. If there's something in the Bible that they don't like what it says, they say things like, well, you know, we don't really believe Jesus actually said that. 
we think that was a result of oral tradition, so we don't necessarily follow that one. Or here's another one. They say, you know, that was, that was just cultural. That was for back then. That's not relevant today. Or like my teenagers would say, well, that's literal, or that one's just figurative. So the point is, Christians love what? Christians love loopholes. Anytime we run into something we don't like, we don't want to follow, we just find somebody who agrees with us or, or says what we want to hear or say that that's cultural or that doesn't apply anymore or that's not relevant to us today. We just love loopholes. The other thing is, let me just poke a little deeper here. Loophole Christians really love theology. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The reason they love theology is theology is where you build up a barricade that enables you from having to do what the Bible says. Let me poke a little here. Here's one I've just, over, you know, being a senior pastor for 15 years, I've heard this one quite a bit over the years. And I hear this one. Well, you know, pastor, the Bible doesn't teach in the New Testament that you have to tithe. That's so Old Testament, and we're in the New Testament, and so we're not accountable to the Old Testament, therefore I don't have to tithe. The reality is it's technically true, but it's loophole theology, and loophole theology always mixes truth with non-truth. Or I hear this one along the same lines. I don't really have the money, or, or I can't afford to give to God, which, by the way, when I hear that, I usually interpret that as, I really don't have the money to give to God because I want to spend it on me, or my family, or what I want. After all, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Pastor, you know what it says, Pastor, you know it says that if you don't take care of your own family first, you're worse than an unbeliever, so, you know, I got to take care of my family, so, or I hear this one, I can't give my finances. So anybody, you know, this doesn't mean you've used this one. I can't give my finances, so I'll give my time. I'll, gi- I'll give my time. And you have to understand with loophole theology, it travels down goofy logic. And so I thought, oh, I just have some fun with that for a moment. So I just was thinking, you know, how does this thinking go? So let's play out the goofy theological game and carry it through for a moment. So for those of you, and I know it's nobody in our church, but for those of you who've ever thought, well, I'll give my time instead of my finances. Okay, so I thought about it. Anybody here happen to just know off the top of your head how many hours there are in a week? Anybody know? What is it? 168 hours a week. I don't expect you to know it. 168 hours a week. So that would mean if you were going to tithe your time, that would be 16 hours a week that you would give and volunteer and serve at your church. To which you say, um, um, okay, you have to understand, let's see, I listened to Caleb on the way to work and back, so that's five hours. Let's see, I go to church, and I, oh, I pray every day, and I, 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 you know, I read my Bible every day, so that may be an hour a week, and, and okay, then I'm up to oh, six hours, I got ten more, holy cow, okay, um, um. Oh, okay, well, I get up at 7 a.m. on Sunday. And if I didn't go to church, I would never get up at 7 a.m. on Sunday. So from 7 a.m., I'm just going to start from the second I wake up. So 7 a.m., and I get home at this time, and, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm participating, and they're glad that I'm actually there. So, they, you know, there's people are there. And, and you see what happens with loophole theology? You see how crazy it gets? You see the path we begin to travel? 
<laughs> Can you imagine this one? Wow, I just I can't give to God because I need to keep it for myself. And we just had communion. You just, thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine this? Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for coming. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for getting me out of that nasty grind, out of the Old Testament. You gave your life so that I can keep more of my stuff. Thank you. And there's not a lot of chuckles. I know that. I get that. Because you're like, don't get so close to home. Let's get out of this. All right. Fair enough. It's dangerous to be a loophole Christian. Because as we said last week, a Christian, Christian can basically believe just about anything. A Christian create, can create any theology they, they want because the question, what's a Christian? And people for 2,000 years have been divining a Christian however they see fit. It's why also Christians have used theology and Bible, and Bible verses to justify persecuting people whether Jewish people or black people or divorced people or homosexuals or entire ethnic groups or entire people groups. That's what loophole Christians do. But we're doing this series because we don't want to be people who are content with being so-called Christians. Define it however you want. Interpret the Bible however you want. We want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be what Jesus called us. He said, you are my disciples. Because a disciple of Jesus is more interested than anything else in being what Jesus is, what Jesus was. Following the example of Jesus. Seeking to imitate Jesus. That's a disciple. That's a follower of Jesus. And the challenge for us across the board for every single person is, will I be willing to be not just a Christian, define it however I want that makes my life content and good, go to heaven, but live the way I want to live. But will I be an imitator, a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Well, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were loophole experts. They had taken the good law of God that God had given and they had reduced it to a system that basically worked for them. So by the time Jesus showed up on the scene, you had all these religious leaders and especially the Pharisees. They were so in love with the commandments, you know, the, the law of Moses, they sort of forgot the intent behind the commandments. They were so in love with the commandments rather than the commander. So therefore, they forgot, here's a term I think we're all familiar with, they forgot what the spirit of the law was. They didn't understand the spirit of the law. And so the religious leaders did something very interesting because they were so in love with the commandments rather than the commander. They came up with extra laws so that they could keep people from actually ever coming close to violating God's actually real commands. So they had all these rules and laws and commands from keeping you from breaking the real rules and laws and commands of God. So by the time Jesus showed up, you had all these commands, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of extra commands. And it's in one of Jesus' conversations with these religious leaders that we discover something. You and I are going to discover something that I hope will cause us to rethink our approach to Christianity and rethink our approach to being a disciple of Jesus as it relates to loopholes. So I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, where we pick up Jesus' conversation with these religious leaders. You can go on your Bible, physical Bible, or you can go on your, um, uh, your phone, the YouVersion Bible app. 
Matthew 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. It's a profound passage, and it starts off in Jesus. It says this. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked. And here's the question they asked Jesus. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? That phrase, tradition of the elders, that's what I just talked about. Those are the laws that these leaders had created to keep from breaking the laws that God had handed down from Moses. Why, and remember, here's the question. Why do you, Jesus, your disciples, your followers, why do they break the tradition of the elders? And then they go on and they say what they're, what they're upset about, what they're griping about. And here's what they said. They, don't break, they break the tradition of the elders, verse 2, they don't wash their hands before they eat. And all the moms in here are like, amen, preach it. I bet you didn't know. This wash your hands before you eat was all handed down by Jewish people through the centuries. Tradition of the elders. Why don't they wash their hands? To which I'm thinking, really? This is what you came to Jesus with? Why do your followers don't, why don't they don't wash their hands? That's what you have for us? Now, what were they talking about? Because this was a big deal to them. Because if you're a loophole Christian, you come up with some goofy, th crazy theology. So what were they talking about? Well, in the law of God handed down from Moses, the, the, there was a required ceremonial washing that was to happen for the priest. And basically, they were supposed to wash their hands all the way up kind of to their elbows to be, you know, ceremonially pure. As time went on, the religious leaders decided, hey, that's a good law. We should make that law for everybody. And we should make it for, you know, all the time, every time you eat. And so they had passed this kind of, this, it started as a good idea, and it grew, and it developed, and it morphed. And eventually, by Jesus' time, it was basically a requirement for everybody. Wash your hands from the tip of your fingers all the way up to your elbows. Apparently, Jesus' followers weren't following this tradition of the elders. Jesus doesn't even bother answering their question. He, look at how he replies in verse 3. So they bring him this crazy question. He says, yeah, but why do you break, and notice what, the, what it says, why do you break the command of who? The command of God. Not the tradition of the elders. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your, here's the word, for the sake of your tradition so he just turns it around on them he he flips it around and they're like what are you talking about jesus so jesus digs a little further verse four four and who said for god. god said not the elders not the tradition of the elders for god said and here's what god said honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death to which I think, oh, I'm glad that's one of them that we don't follow anymore because I'm thinking there would be nobody left. <laughs> right? So there's what God says, and then Jesus says this in verse 5. But you guys, you leaders, you, you Pharisees, you say, and now Jesus is getting ready to point out what they've done. And, and he's, here's what he's going to do. He's going to point out that they have taken and twisted the very word of God to mean it to be exactly opposite of what God had commanded them to do. And it's because they are all about the commands and not God, the commander himself. They forgot the spirit of the law. They forgot the intent of the law. And so because of that, they developed a loop around, loophole or a workaround. 
verse 5, but you say, here's Jesus saying to them, but you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is, quote, devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Now, maybe read that silently real quick one more time. You're like, okay, what's he talking about? Let me explain that. There was another law that talked about devoting or dedicating everything you have to God. And so the problem with loophole people, loophole Christians, loophole believers, is, is they're constantly looking for loopholes, and so that's what these guys do. And so they develop something worse than just a loophole. They develop the loophole combo, okay? And so they got a loophole combo going on right here. And basically what they said this, they said, you know what? We're going to de- dedicate everything to God. And since we've dedicated everything to God, we, but we don't want to violate the honor your father and mother thing, we still want to honor our father and mother, but we want to dedicate everything to God. So what do we do? Here's the loophole combo. We've ded- dedicated everything to God. So mom and dad come to you, they're aging, they need help with rent, they need you know, help buying you know, a new donkey to get around, or whatever the case may be, right? And then they're in need, and they come to you, your child, and you say, oh, dad, oh, mom, I'd love to help you out, but... I've dedicated everything to God. And I really want to help you out, but you know, I've dedicated everything to God, so if I help you out, I'd be robbing God, and so I need to hold on to it in case God needs it. So dad, mom, I love you and all, but you know i got to honor God first, right? I mean, that's what you guys want me to do, honor God, right? You understand, right, mom, right, dad? Now, do you hear that? Where, where does your brain go? I mean, that's insane. Would would you raise your hand if you think that's insane? It's insane. It's crazy. But that's what loophole thinking does. It travels down a crazy path. I want you to think about if they actually manufactured a rule that would enable them to not support their parents, but somehow at the same time, quote, technically honor God or technically not break God's law. That's how crazy loopholes are. So what does Jesus say about this? What's his commentary to them? He's saying, Matthew 5, verse 6, he says, let me tell you what you guys have done. He says, you have thus nullified the word of who? The word of? Not the word of the tradition of the elders. Jesus basically, and I don't care about that. You've nullified the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Pharisees did it. The religious leaders did it. I would throw out to you that we do the same thing today. We do the same thing today. We take what God says and we turn it, we twist it, we set it up in our lives in such a way that it would serve us and serve our purposes and our wants and needs and desires. And so I just want to ask you a question because I imagine the Holy Spirit is already speaking to some of you this morning and he's already talking to you and you're already seeing it. And so my question is this, is for you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. What laws, what commands of God have you twisted for your own purposes? What's God saying to you right now? That you know, you're sitting there and you know, this one, these two, this whatever. I've turned it, I've twisted it. I've created a loophole in my mind so that I don't have to honor God and his intent behind. Technically, technically, you might be able to say, God, I'm technically not sinning. Which law, which command, what spirit of a law 
have you sidestepped for your own purposes? <coughs> so what does Jesus do about this? I want you to notice what he says to them as a result of what they've done. Verse 7, he says, you what? Let's say it out loud. One, two, three. You. Hypocrite. You. Hypocrite. Say it like you mean it. You. Hypocrite. Yeah, some of you just said it like you've been wanting to say that for a long time. <laughs> Finally got it out. You hypocrites. Here's the bottom line. Here's the moral of the story. Jesus doesn't like it when we use the Father's words to avoid doing the Father's will. Jesus doesn't like it. When we take God's words and his intentions and we use that to avoid doing the Father's will, to get around, to find a loophole around the will of God, Anytime you start looking for a loophole to sidestep Jesus' teaching, anytime we try to get around Jesus' teaching, then we're guilty. Anytime we try to use religion, Jesus, remember, he was talking about parents and honoring your mother, father and mother. Let me put it this way. Anytime you try to use as an excuse God's word as a way to misuse or, mis or abuse or mistreat somebody, Jesus is saying, man, we're hypocrites. See, what Jesus did here was brilliant. He pushed back on them because he understood what's inside of us and he understood that we gravitate towards what's comfortable and what's beneficial for us. And we will take whatever's out there and we will find a way around it. We will find a way to use it so that we can still be comfortable, so that we can still get what we hope for, what we desire, what we want. He understood that. So he said, listen, I... I want you to take what God has given you and I, I want to take you back and I want you to take you back to really the first commandments and I want you to understand what God's intent, what God, the spirit of the law is behind everything God said. And so then he says something brilliant to us, turning your Bibles to John chapter 13. We looked at it last week, kind of the foundation for the series. John chapter 13, Jesus said, I want to take you back to what was intended, what was meant in the first place, in verse 34, Jesus says, a new command. In other words, Jesus is saying, start here. Everything just got so convoluted with everybody. So how about you start here? A new command I give you, love one another. This is where we start. This is our filter. This will bring clarity to everything else we do. We're to submit everything else to this. We're to defer our theology to this. Here it is. Love one another. And then he went on to say in the next verse, John chapter 13, verse 35, the outside world's going to notice how, that you're actually my disciple, Jesus said, not by your theology, not by how well you can create some traditions around you, not by how you interpret verses, not how, by how you create loopholes. Other people are going to know that you're my followers, my disciples, because you figure this one out by how you love each other how you interact with each other, how you care for one another. That's the best witness you can give to those outside these walls is our love, our care, our concern for one another. And what's so cool is this just kind of took hold. It took hold with that first church, those first disciples, the first church, the first you know, couple decades. And it was their filter by which they looked at all, every single relational decision. And so if somebody had a relationship problem, if they had a boss problem, if they had a spouse problem, if they had a child problem, their filter was simply, how do we respond? How do we act? How do we react 
by loving each other, by loving one another, by loving one another. The apostle or disciple John said it this way in 1 John 4.11, echoing what Jesus was talking about. And he just said, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. John understood it. Peter also, or excuse me, Paul said it in a different way. Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. I like how Paul put it. He said, let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, don't have debt. Dave Ramsey's right. No debt. Except the continuing debt. In other words, there's one debt you never pay off. Except the continuing debt to what? To love one another, right? To love one another. He says, hey, Jesus followers, I want you to wake up every single day understanding you're in debt to the people around you. Every day. And you owe it to them to love them because your heavenly father loved you and modeled it through what Jesus did for us. Paul goes on to say in that same verse, Romans 13, verse 8, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Not the tradition of the elders, but God's law, God's purposes that he set up. And notice how he explains it. I love what he says next. Here's his commentary. The commandments, what are they? Thou, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And then he just gives a blanket statement. And whatever other commands there may be. So Paul's just saying, he's just saying, listen, any thou shall, thou shall not, anything you find in the Bible about marriage, about business, about family, about friendships, about loving me through worship, about loving other people, anything, all of it, you should think through the lenses of how can I love others? And here's how he actually verbalizes. He said all of that, notice what it says there, verse 9. It's summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, John, Paul, Peter, they all taught the same thing. Love one another. That's, that, that's, it's all summed up in that. Everything from God is summed up in that. In other words, loving one another, loving each other as yourself, that's your filter. That's your filter through which you make every single decision. Jesus says, don't you dare take a verse, don't take a chapter, don't take a story, don't take a theology, don't take any of that and use it as an excuse to unlove somebody else. If you do it, Jesus said, you're being a hypocrite. If you do that, you're misapplying the scriptures. Disciples don't look for workarounds. Disciples of Jesus don't look for loopholes. Christians do that. Disciples don't open the Bible and try to figure out how little they can do, how little they can serve, how little they can give, how little they can worship. Disciples wake up every single day and says, what does love require of me? Not simply, what does the Bible say? But how do I love my neighbor as myself? It begins with that question. And if you do that, it'll take you past loopholes. It'll take you past misapplied theology. And I can tell you this, if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to take this step and have this be your filter by which you look at all of Scripture, I, I will tell you that it's going to draw you out of your comfort zone. It's going to draw you into uncomfortable places. It'll draw you into new kind of relationships. It'll draw you into saying things you never thought you would say. It will draw you into inviting people over for dinner that you thought you would never invite over to dinner. It's going to draw you into conversations where you will actually listen rather than spout off your usual talking points. 
It'll draw you into service and worship and giving and sacrifice and generosity. Paul, John, all of them said the law was secondary all, because all of it flows out of this command, love one another. So what if you did it? I mean, really, what if we actually did this? What if we treated our marriage this way? What if we parented this way? What if we responded to our boss this way? What if we led this way? Can you begin to see the transformation that would take place? What does love require of me? Now, I know some of you are thinking here as we wrap it up. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but pastor, but, but pastor, but pastor, what about, what about, what about? So I'll just answer all of your what abouts because if you're thinking through this, you're going to have some whatabouts. And I'll just answer it this way. You ready? One sentence. You say, what about? And I'll just simply say to you, aren't you glad that God didn't look for a loophole when it came to loving you? Aren't you glad? Aren't you thrilled to know? Praise God. Aren't you glad that he looked at you and said, the spirit of my laws, I love that person. Pretty unlovable. (laughs) He didn't look for a loophole out of loving you. He loved you. He loved me. He loved us. So if God didn't look for a loophole for you and for me, why would we look for those in our own life or in the way we love others? Don't settle for being a Christian. Quote Christian. That could be anything you want it to be. Don't settle. Instead, be a disciple. Disciples don't look for loopholes. They simply ask the question, what does love require of me? And so I wrap it up. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? Next week, we'll dive deeper into that. We'll tell you a lot about it. It's going to be hard, frustrating, difficult, challenging, amazing. But this week, hang on to this question. What does love require of me? Let's pray. God, I pray your Holy Spirit just starts speaking loud and clear to each person here. That, God, we become followers of you, Jesus, disciples. We're not looking for loopholes anymore. We want to know what it looks like to love with the spirit and intent that you had behind those words. So show us that this week, God. And, God, even right now as we come to worship you, in another way, by giving you this offering. God, show us what does it look like to demonstrate love in this act of worship through giving an offering. So God, reveal that to each person here now. Use this for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.